Well, hello, everyone. My name is Byron Howell, and this is the Byron Howell Ministries podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I pray that you uh, had a wonderful Christmas, that you're having a great holiday season, and that you have a happy new year. I know I haven't talked a lot lately, been super busy, probably like most of you in the, the fourth quarter of 2021. Um, and, you know, also, I don't really want to just, just say something for the sake of saying it. I want to wait till God really lays something on my heart. And uh, a couple of things happened, and I really feel kind of led of the Lord to talk about the subjects that we're going to talk about today. I believe we're going to cover some ground that we've never covered before on this podcast. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about uh, a fair amount of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, today you're gonna you're gonna understand a lot about reality, about the world around us, about you know why certain things are the way they are, um, and I really I really think this is gonna bless you, and this is just gonna completely revolutionize your understanding for some of you, your understanding of the world, and and I really believe this is just gonna set you up to to really have your mind renovated, and then understand how to really go forward. Uh, in God's plan for your life with the right mindset, with the right understanding of reality. And I, I just know this is going to bless you. So recently, and, and these are kind of the events that led to this discussion we're having today. You know, I was at a small gathering at a friend's house and my friend's son was there. And, and my friend's son is 19 or 20 and, and I've known him for years and we have a great relationship. And he has just a very unique personality, very intelligent, but he's very, very direct as well. So we're, we're talking and I just said, Hey, you know, what have you been reading in the word lately? And he said, well, you know, actually I've been spending some time on the internet, uh, reading about these prosperity preachers and, you know, kind of knowing him and knowing where he was going with this. I just kind of joked around. I said, Hey, I'm a prosperity preacher. And he goes immediately without skipping a beat. He goes, well, I guess you'll be with them in hell. And that's okay. To be honest, it kind of cracked me up because I know, I know this guy and he's very direct and he just says what he thinks and that's the way he is, you know. But you know, I don't get offended anymore, you know. I mean, maybe I would have, you know, a decade ago, but now, you know, once you know the truth, once you know what the Bible says, you don't get offended. You know, not really when, when people suggest things that are contrary to your beliefs. But, but anyway, you know, they certainly prompt you to, to think, um, you know, especially if you want to be sure that your everything you say and do is in line with God's word. But ironically, uh, you know, in some unrelated circumstances, two of the other people at this at this gathering had se- separately uh, asked me about a particular sermon that was recently preached, and I had not heard the sermon, but they asked me what my thoughts were about it. Particularly because the person who who preached this sermon really kind of uh, came out against the prosperity gospel, and I said, "Okay, you know, I'm I'm going to listen to this sermon. I'm going to see what this person has to say about it." And I just, you know, figuring that, you know, and from what my friend said, you know, that he was going to be very negative against it, and understandably so. I mean, I understand, you know, the arguments against the prosperity gospel, which we're going to talk about today. But I really set my heart and my mind to be very open, uh, to listen to everything that that he had to say in this particular ser- sermon, especially knowing who he is. But anyway. So, you know, in this sermon uh, that my friends asked me about, they asked my opinion on it, you know, the, the speaker briefly, briefly but forcefully spoke against what he called the prosperity gospel or the, 
the health and wealth gospel. And, and as he, his evidence, he spoke about, you know, the devout Christians in the third world countries who are obviously neither healthy nor wealthy. You know, while he didn't say this directly, I believe it's safe to describe his logic like this. If the prosperity gospel were accurate, then why are all those Christians neither healthy nor wealthy? Now, to describe his logic another way, uh, if the prosperity gospel were accurate, then all Christians, even in the worst places, would be healthy and wealthy. Now, I mean, you know, what do you think of that logic, right? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that the most common argument against the health and wealth gospel? It's certainly, you know, a reasonable argument, easy, easy for us to understand. And, you know, personally, I don't even need to look at Christians in third world countries to understand that argument. I mean, there are a lot of devout Christians right right here in America, the richest nation on earth, who are neither healthy nor wealthy. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm I'm in Tampa, Florida, and there's a whole bunch of devout Christians right here who are sick and broke. Uh, you know, it's terrible. It's terrible. But that's just the way it is, you know. But. So it makes sense when, when people kind of look at people preaching health and wealth and they look at, you know, the world around us and they look at Christians in the, you know, kind of terrible circumstances that some Christians are in and they say, well, obviously that can't be, can't be accurate, right? It can't be accurate to believe that God wants everybody healthy and wealthy, you know, but, but if the health and wealth gospel is in fact wrong, which it, you know, would seem to be if we look at the world around us, what do we do about all those biblical promises for financial and health blessings? I mean, are those promises worthless? Does God not back up his word? I mean, is there some sort of spiritual lottery where some of the promises are applicable to some Christians and not others? I mean, do we earn the promises? Is that how it works? If I'm good enough, can I earn health or wealth or, or, or the promises just gap filler in the Bible? I mean, what is going on here? You know, and honestly, you know, what about what about me? Everyone in my family's in great health. Sure, we've been attacked a few times. My wife was attacked with stage four cancer, but she's completely healed. No chemo, no nothing. And, you know, that was all because of things God led us to do. And I don't believe we're in such good health because we're lucky or, you know, we make perfect health and dietary decisions and all of that. I mean, I believe we're in great health because of God's promises. And if God forbid we get attacked, we get injured, you know, he, he's taught us what to do. We know what to do about it and stay healthy. And, you know, regarding my finances, uh, I'm, and I'm not just talking about myself. I'm going to come to a point here. You know, my, my financial position is pretty solid. You know, at the beginning of, of 2021, God told me to, to change some aspects of my working situation, to change some aspects of my business. And 2021 was the best year I've ever had. Praise the Lord. I mean, did I win the spiritual lottery? Am I crazy to think that there's some relationship between God's promises in the Bible and what I'm seeing in my own house when, when so many other Christians apparently aren't seeing those promises show up? I mean, and I don't want to be prideful and think for even an instant that I earned these blessings apart from God's grace. I mean, I don't want to think for even an instant that, you know, that I won the lottery or, or God loves me more than anybody else. I mean, no. All of that is crazy. That's wrong. Uh, you know, so why don't why don't all Christians experience the healing and prosperity that we have in my house? You know, my friends, this analysis, these questions create all kinds of problems. But honestly, we're going to answer these problems today. And if you will listen to me, you will understand. And this understanding will change your life. 
And and let me just start with a few verses. So again, you know, we're gonna we're gonna understand the interplay between the promises of God and how so many seemingly devout Christians are not experiencing the manifestation of the promises of God. Today we're going to answer, you know, why we see so many evil things in the world around us. We're going to teach you what to do about it. And and really, we're definitely going to just add to your understanding on a number of subjects here. But so this is Genesis three seventeen through 19. And to the man God said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So this is kind of one of the original curses of sin. And this is you know, certainly the entrance of death, the entrance of poverty, the entrance of financial struggle. Now let's fast forward you know, thousands of years. This is Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So to understand why there are so many indeed, uh, so many people, so many sick Christians who are sick and poor, we must first understand the causes of sickness and poverty. Sickness and poverty were nowhere to be found in God's original plan for humanity. They're nowhere to be found in the original plan for the Garden of Eden. Sickness and poverty first became part of the human existence with sin. And God banished mankind from the Garden of Eden. And Adam was cursed to live a hard life of poverty until he died. Sickness, poverty, and death have been part of the human existence ever since. And I don't think we even need to say any more about that. It's just the way it is. I mean, look look anywhere in the world around you. It's just the way it is. But in addition to the original curses of poverty and death, the story about the Garden of Eden also introduces us to the devil. Notice that Romans 5:12 above tells us that all people have sinned and that sin entered the world. Now let's look at the relationship between both the devil and uh People and the devil and the world. So we're going to look at the relationship between the devil and people and the devil and the world. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Those are truly amazing statements. So in addition to the curses of poverty and death that we have because of sin in the Garden of Eden, we also have the devil to deal with. Please also note that these verses from Ephesians and 2 Corinthians, they are written directly to the Christian church after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the verse in Ephesians tells us that the devil is still working in the hearts of people today. The devil is, in fact, the commander of the ungodly powers in the unseen world. He is the commander of demons. There are billions of people out there in the world living in sin. And this verse tells us that the devil is working in their hearts and they are obeying the devil. Furthermore, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, 
tells us that Satan is the god of this world. Now, in the Greek, the word world is eon, and that's important because that's specifically referring to a period of time. God is the owner of planet Earth and everything in it, but the devil rules this particular period of time. And when you study this out, in the eyes of God, we have been in one particular period of time, or eon, from the fall of Adam all the way to the present day. And this eon will end uh, at the return of Christ. But isn't this an amazing and terrible reality that the Bible reveals to us? People do not talk about this nearly enough. They do not understand this. The devil is the ruler of this period of time. The devil is blinding the minds of unbelievers against Christ. And the devil is working in their hearts, in the hearts of sinners, to do his evil will. And they are obeying him. You know, how can this be? If God is in control and if God is controlling everything and if nothing happens other than God's will, how can these things be? Is everything the devil does, in fact, God's will? Is all the sickness and disease and everything else that sinners are doing under the influence of Satan, the ruler of this period of time, is all of this God's will? What about First Timothy, Timothy 2 verses 3 through 4? It says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So just compare that just briefly with that verse, with the verse from 2 Corinthians. It says, it says, Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers and they cannot see the glorious light of the good news. But this says... God wants all people to be saved to come and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we have this direct contradiction. This is the, in fact, this is kind of the, the description of the great war of the universe. God wants everybody to be saved and the devil's out there blinding people's mind against the gospel. And this is, you know, this is in, in essence, I mean, this is the great conflict of reality. But anyway, for now, we can keep it simple. God wants everybody to be saved. Just just keep it there for a minute. You know, 2 Peter 3.9 reiterates this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I mean, this this may, in fact, be part of the reason why Jesus hasn't returned yet. If he returns right now, billions of people are going to go to hell. I mean, so in a sense, you know, I know, I know we're supposed to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but I know a fair amount of unsaved people. And if he returns right this instant, you know, according to what the Bible says, they're going to hell. So I, I'm glad for his mercy, but he wants everyone to be saved. And if God wants everyone to be saved and if God controls everything, then why isn't everyone saved? And what about the rest of God's will? John 10, verses 9 through 10. Jesus says, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. It looks like Jesus wants everyone to have a rich and satisfying life. The King James says abundant life. But what about all those Christians who are sick and broke? What about those people who obviously don't have a rich and satisfying or abundant life? Can we say that Jesus' will for them is a rich and satisfying life, but somehow God's will is also a life of sickness and poverty? Or 
what about all of the promises for health and financial blessing that we see in the Bible? Again, are those worthless? How do those work here? You know, and just as an example, here's a, here's a financial promise from God to Christians. Just, you know, I don't want to just throw around the term, you know, promises or financial promises. Let's read one. This is directly from God to the church in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 11, from God to the Christian church. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that at all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for your food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and it will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What he's saying is God is going to increase your money. You will be enriched. I'm continuing quote here. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let me just say, I believe that that passage is the clearest statement on wealth in the New Testament, wealth that God wants for Christians. He, in fact, I don't care who you are. I don't care what country you're in. I don't care, you know, what dire circumstances you're facing. This verse suggests that God's will for you is so that you would have enough so that you would be generous, that you have enough so that you can be generous to other Christians, which is going to help them, bless them, ultimately bring glory to God. And as you do that, God is going to continually increase you more and more so that you grow and increase and prosper. And then you can be more generous and more generous. So you will personally be enriched in every way. And so you have so much that you can just be generous. And I say, I quote, on every occasion and so generous. This is not a two, you know, this is not a dollar bill in the bucket. This is not, you know, a 20 in the offering plate. So God wants you to be so generous that your generosity brings glory to God. What, what he's talking about there is, you know, you come in and you truly bless a family, a needy family. You come in, you truly, you know, put some money into an orphanage or a ministry or a church or another good work. And people, they don't, you know, it's not about you. People think, they realize that that money came from God and they glorify God. That's what it's all about. But what about healing promises? James 5, 14 through 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So here we see a financial promise and a healing promise. These are both New Testament statements clearly directed at the Christian community at large. God's will for my life can't be poverty if he wants me out of it, so much so that I'm generous on every occasion and I'm so generous that other people are glorifying God through my generosity. And God's will for my life can't be sickness if he shows me how to pray and, and get out of it, that I can just call for the elders of the church and the prayer of faith will, will help me uh, get well. How can we reconcile all this? How can God and Jesus have a will for someone's life that's not showing up in all those sick and broke Christians? How can there be so many unsaved people? How can there be so many Christians who, who aren't living in these promises? What is God's will? Isn't God in control? Well, my friends, there you have it. That's quite a situation, isn't it? 
How can we possibly understand all of this? And I'm going to tell you the answer. You're probably not going to believe it, but it's the truth. In fact, the truth I'm about to tell you is one of the great reconciling truths of the universe that helps the entire Bible make sense. We look at the world around us. It also makes the whole world make sense and all that we see in reality. So just give me a few minutes and hear me out. God is not in control. And I know some of you are thinking that's heresy, that you're out, that, that this is your last Byron Howell Ministries podcast, that he's truly lost it. But just give me a few more minutes and then you decide. I know your entire life you've been taught that God is in control. At least most of you have. I was. I mean, I don't really even know. Well, anyway, let's not go down that road. But anyway, I know most of us for most of our life were taught that God is in control and that somehow everything is part of God's plan. But that's just not the case. Every time something terrible happened in your life, every time something terrible happened in the world, every time someone hears that and says, oh, well, God is in control or, well, God has a plan, as if that terrible thing that happened is God's will or he's going to work some good out of all of it. Those are lies from the pit of hell. Those are some of the worst lies the devil has ever spoken to mankind, and they have pervaded the world and done unimaginable damage. The fact is that God is not in control of every aspect of reality at all times. God is not the great puppet master pulling every string of the universe constantly directing everything, the good, the bad, the horrible, all according to some mysterious and unknowable will. That is just not reality. The true nature of reality, the true description of the systems that exist, is well summed up by Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 14. And let's start there. And then we can walk through the verses again that we've already seen today. And you will understand reality as maybe you never have before. Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 14. For he has rescued us, for he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God created a beautiful planet and he put Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden. The devil influenced them and they sinned. When they sinned, God cursed them with poverty and death. Moreover, they move from the kingdom of God into the dominion of darkness. Now remember the verse from Romans. Sin passed from Adam and Eve to all mankind. Every child is born with original sin, but even if you do, don't get hung up on that, everybody sins. That's what the Bible says. Sooner or later, every single human that's ever been born, except Jesus, sins. But we are born into this dominion of darkness. And the dominion of darkness is run by the God of this eon or this period of time, Satan. So let's just see it again. It says, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Every single person is who is not a Christian is in the dominion of darkness. And they are subject to the devil's influence. Remember the Ephesians verse. And they are obeying him. Satan rules this period of time. Satan is, in fact, influencing billions of people around the world, and they are obeying him. All of the sins around the world, all the terrorism, the war, the slavery, the hatred, the greed, the human trafficking, the racism, all of it, 
All of it comes through sin. All of it comes from the devil's influence on the people who are in the dominion of darkness. And don't hate because at one time that was you and me too. I know I played my part, but none of this is God's will. God isn't causing or controlling any of it. Humans have free will and we are subject to influence. When the devil influences humans and they listen, then that's sin. Uh, that is creating the sins in the world around us. And all these terrible things. Billions of humans sinning every day have created a world marked by sin, sickness, and death. These parts of our reality are not God's will. They're not God's will for anyone and they're not God's will for you. The fact is that the dominion of darkness and the devil's influence is alive and well in the world today and you can see it everywhere. Again, Colossians 1, 13 through 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the forgiveness of sins and redemption. You are also removed from the devil's dominion and you are brought into the kingdom of God. These things are true for every Christian. They are automatic and they are immediate. Praise the Lord. But just because a person is brought into God's kingdom doesn't mean that that person is immediately subject to God's complete control. It doesn't mean that God starts immediately controlling every aspect of their lives. Nowhere does the Bible say that. My dear Christian brother or sister. I mean, in fact, if, if God immediately starts controlling every aspect of your life, we don't need many, many verses. I mean, what's the point in teaching us how to live or what decision to make or to renovate our mind if God's just controlling everything, right? There's no free will. And look, I realize that, that this interplay is, is difficult. And just to really needle down here to get very granular, most Christians, believe that they have free will, that they can choose to do right, they can choose to do wrong, they can choose all sorts of things. But then simultaneously, they believe that God is in control and that everything that is happening is part of God's plan. Well, unfortunately, that those positions are irreconcilable. And it's very unfortunate that we've have that belief that even though we have this free will, that somehow God's in control and everything's part of God's will, but that's just not the truth. I mean, think about the last time you sinned. Did, did God cause you to sin? Was God controlling your body or your mouth? And on the contrary, those of you who are a bit more mature, didn't you in fact sense God telling you to go in the other direction? Didn't God by his spirit try to keep you from sin? I, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I mean, I would say a huge percentage of the time that I sin and I still miss it. I'm not perfect. I, I sin on a regular basis. I mean, I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying I make bad choices sometimes. But I, I can't remember the last time where you know, I didn't feel the leading of the Holy Spirit. Byron, just keep your mouth shut. I feel like that's like the dominant word from God. To me, most of the time, at least at work, just keep your mouth shut. Just let it go. And I admit, I'm getting better. I'm growing. I'm maturing. But still, sometimes I'm like, you know what? I just can't let it go. I got to I gotta shoot this email. I got to let these people know what I think. But, you know, no reasonable Christian would ever suggest that God caused them to ever sin or controlled them into sinning. I mean, if somebody walked in 
and started saying that, they would be shouted down. They would be thrown out. They would be immediately, it would be immediately recognized that their understanding is flawed. But so even though no reasonable Christian would ever suggest that God caused them or controlled them into sin, sincere Christians think that God is causing sins around the world all the time at an unimaginable scale. Right? So think of that irreconcilable position that God would never cause or control me to sin, but somehow God is controlling everything, including all the sins of all these people worldwide that are creating this terrible, these terrible situations that we see everywhere. You know, the Christian church at large thinks that so many terrible consequences of sin in the world are God's will or part of God's plan. They don't bother to analyze that logic to see that if they believe that all of this sin is God's will, all of these terrible things are God's will and God is in control, then God must be causing individual people to sin and do terrible things all over the world all the time. You know, most reasonable people would, would know that isn't true, or at least after talking it out, after really getting into the details like we're doing today, we would realize that's just not true. God isn't in control where God, in any sense where God exercises his power to force anyone to do anything. Now, look, I agree, and this is biblical, that there are some times in a, in a very, you know, in an overarching, huge geopolitical sense that God does influence world rulers in a certain direction because he has an overall will for the world. Look, we couldn't say otherwise. That's a biblical position. But he's certainly not doing it down with every person, down to the minutia of their lives, down to the minutia of your lives. He's certainly not involved in every single sinful enterprise in the world on a mass scale, on a small scale, in any sense like that. We know that God does, however, want to direct our lives. He wants to guide us. He wants to direct the vast majority of reality. That is the truth from the Bible. Not control, but lead, guide, and direct. You know, God has a perfect will and wonderful plan for all of our lives. That's what the Bible says. God wants this leadership, this, this directorial influence, if you will, because God loves us more than we can imagine. He knows what is best for every area of our lives, and he wants us to live it. In his great mercy and grace, he even guides us into his plans far more than we deserve, trying to guide us there even when we are paying no attention to him. But God is not controlling our lives, and God is not controlling the world at large. The poverty and sickness that the world is experiencing, that millions of Christians are experiencing, is not God's will. They are the devil's will, and if not for God and the church, all humanity would be living in sickness and poverty. That's the truth, because without God and the church, the ruler of this eon, the ruler of this period of time in the dominion of darkness would be running rampant throughout all of reality. That's the truth. God knows the devil wants to steal everything you have, including any financial stability, including your health, including your very life. The curse of sin is in the earth, but God doesn't want you to live under the curse. He wants you to have a good life, good in every area of your life. And in the greatest act of his love to free us from the dominion of darkness, to move us into the kingdom of God, he sent us Jesus Christ. And look at this, this very powerful passage here. Matthew eleven two through 5. 
Now, when John the Baptist had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he sent unto them, Are you he that should come or do we look for another? You see, he's bummed. He's mad. He's in prison. Why am I in prison? Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Remember everything that already happened? How could he even be asking this question? But Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Remember one of the verses we read today, the verse from Second Corinthians says, Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So what did God do when he came to the earth, right? He went around healing, the, the healing ministry of Jesus, the healing will of God is beyond the shadow of a doubt. You know, understandable, recognizable. And what about the poor? The poor have the gospel preached to them. You know, some people twist this into saying it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that their salvation will somehow just make all of life better, that they're supposed to just accept their salvation and grin and bear their poverty because that's God's will for their life, apparently. But that's not what this is saying at all. In the book of Matthew, prior to this verse, it's not even referred to as the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's the gospel he was preaching. It wasn't just about salvation, although he is the door. He is the gate. Remember John 10? He is the door. We come in through Christ. But he brings us from the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of God where we can start living under the the kingdom, the realm of God, and in all of his God's blessing and all of God's blessings. God sent Jesus so that we could receive redemption and forgiveness of sins, and so that we could be moved into the kingdom of God, out from the dominion of darkness. Remember we saw that in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, that was the verse we read a minute ago. And you see, God wants us freed from every influence of the devil. And he wants us to live in every aspect of the kingdom of God. That's the truth. Out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God. That is one of the most important parts of salvation. Well, what if you are a sincere and devout Christian? What if you, my dear brother and sister, what if you've been a Christian for 20 years, but it still looks like everything in your life is a disaster? What if you're sick and broke and have every other imaginable problem? Well, what then, right? Why? Why? Why are you experiencing all these problems? Well, first of all, the dominion of darkness is actively at work trying to ruin the world, trying to ruin every aspect of reality with the sin, with the death, with the fighting, with the, with the struggle, with the sickness, with the viruses. Those are all the works of the dominion of darkness. Those are all the devil's will. They're not God's will in all of these systems. In fact, the entire existence of poverty is from the curse, right? So we start by living in the dominion of darkness, every single one of us, right? But then we get rescued, we get redeemed, we get forgiven, and we get moved into the kingdom of God. But what do we do now? It's all about the promises. How do we see God's will start showing up in our life? Now, there are some aspects of God's will for a Christian. These these are not so much 
aspects of God's will that happen automatically. Rather, they are spiritual changes that happen in the life of a Christian automatically. The moment a person gets saved, they become a child of God. They become the righteousness of God in Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit. All of those things are wonderful and automatic, but the Bible is still filled with directions for living and promises from God, like promises for healing and promises for financial increase. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by humans' desires. Look, let's just say it again. These promises are how we escape the world's corruption. 2 Corinthians one twenty, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, how many of you have heard about God's promises? That's a big subject. A lot of people have latched on to this, even in my lifetime. You've probably all heard about God's promises. You've probably all heard that God has you know, numerous promises for every area of your life, your family, your finances, your business, your, your health, uh, your home even. I mean, every aspect of your life, there are promises. Some of you have been taught about that. Some of you have even been taught to pray and hope in these promises, and that's wonderful. But how many of you have simultaneously heard that God doesn't care if you're healthy or wealthy? That, that is sometimes God causes bad things in your life, or when bad things happen, those are just part of God's plan or part of God's will. How can these teachings possibly be reconciled? How can they be reconciled with the thousands of promises in the Bible for God's good in every area of your life? I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think it's, it's so difficult and it can be so frustrating, you know, when, when churches have testimonies of somebody that got healed or testimonies of somebody that got tithing, that started tithing and experienced financial increase and they come out there and they say, you know, you should tithe. Or, or, you know, you can pray for healing and things like that. But simultaneously, they denounce that God wants everybody financially blessed or that God wants everybody healed. That, you know, oh, that maybe Christian A won the jackpot. He got healed. It was a miracle. But Christian B, oh, man, it's just God's will for your life. You just hang on, brother. You just suffer. God wants you early. You know, whatever. Right? Whatever. I mean, I heard this story about a young father who died, left behind four kids, apparently a devout Christian. You're telling me that was God's will? It was God's will for, you know, those kids to grow up without a father? That's a lie from the pit of hell. The devil took him out. Prime of his life. But, you know, how do we, how do we do this? How do we reconcile these beliefs? I hate that inconsistency. You know what I want to hear when someone gives up and gives a, a testimony? You see, that's what they're also implying. They're God's, you know, what the church is trying to do, sometimes it's not a bad thing. They're saying, look, this guy got healed. This guy started tithing. This guy got prospered, and so can you. Well, okay, amen, brother, let's do it. it, it but that's what you need to preach consistently. 
100% of the time, God wants 100% of you healed. God wants 100% of you financial blessed. You know, Sister A or Brother B here, they didn't just win the spiritual lotto. But look, you know, how can these teachings be reconciled? How can they be reconciled that, you know, God may have these bad things in your life or that it's God's will for all those poor and sick Christians in the third world, third world countries? How can that be reconciled with the thousands of promises in the Bible for God's blessings in every area of your life? These are irreconcilable. Those teachings are wrong. In fact, to the ears of God, those teachings, all of those terrible things around the world are God's will. Those teachings are heresy. They are lies of the devil meant to destroy your life and take you away from God. And millions in the church have received and repeated those lies. And it's a terrible shame. In the, in my opinion, the reason those lies are so easily received and repeated, the lies about God's will, the lies about God's in control, the lies about God's mysterious plan, when those statements are applied to all of the sin in the world, all the terrible things in the world, all of the terrible things that you may be personally be going through. Those lies are so easily received and repeated because people look at the world around them. They see poverty and sickness everywhere. And rather than understanding that all of this is the result of sin and the devil's doing, listen to me now, the devil has convinced millions of people, and including the Christian church at large, that those parts of reality are God's will. The devil has blamed God for what he has done. And much of the world has bought this lie. Huge parts of the Christian church believe this. We've believed the lie that God causes and wants sickness and death everywhere, rather than in fact believing that God wants us to have everything he promised us. Everything. When we become Christians, we are moved into the kingdom of God. We become God's children. We then become entitled to all of God's promises. We become entitled to the promises for a couple of reasons. First of all, they are gifts from God to his children. They are part of the inheritance God has for his children, and we are entitled to our inheritance now. Furthermore, through Jesus' perfect and sinless life, he earned the promises. He earned every good thing that God would ever want to do for a human. Remember, in the Old Testament, the vast majority of God's promises were conditional. If people behaved a certain way, then God would bring certain blessings into their life. If they disobeyed, then all sorts of curses were going to come upon them. But Jesus behaved perfectly and earned the promise, all of them. When we become Christians, we become Christians not with our own righteous. We receive the very righteousness of God, the same righteousness of Jesus. We become entitled to the promises, in fact, owners of the promises through their righteousness and through our family relationship with them. Right? This is very, very key, very, very powerful. When you become a Christian, you become entitled to and in fact an owner of all of God's promises. And what are we going to do with those promises? We are going to escape all of the corruption in the world, everything the devil is trying to do. And we are going to move in to the rich, satisfying, and abundant life that Jesus wants for us. All of these promises, everything God wants for us is available now. But God's promises, including God's promises for financial prosperity, for healing, for salvation, for everything, they are not automatic. 
God wants everyone saved, but everyone is not saved. God wants everyone healed, but everyone is not healed. God wants everyone to have financial stability and prosperity, but there are lots of poor people in this world, lots of poor Christians. God is not in control of your individual life. God is not forcing you to receive the manifestation of his promises in your life. Although that would be great. I admit it. That would be amazing. But it doesn't work that way. We must study God's word and learn how to obtain the promises. I'm going to come back to this, but I'm not talking about earn the promises. We don't earn anything from God. Everything from God is a gift from his grace. But we must learn how to receive the promises, how to see God's promises manifested in our lives. Look, it's no different than if you had a a relative die and leave you some money. Look, you are immediately entitled to that money. It is yours. doesn't matter if you're a jerk. doesn't matter if you're a Christian. None of that. The court is not going to ask any of those problems, any of those questions, or whoever's overseeing the estate. They're not going to ask any of those questions. But there is a process that you have to go through to get those assets, even though they are your inheritance. Sometimes you have to go through a probate process. Sometimes there's, you know, some other estate proceeding. You are entitled to it legally, but there's a process you have to go through to obtain your inheritance in your bank account, in your life. Hebrews 6.12, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Hebrews 4.2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, didn't work for them, they didn't get saved, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. What is the key issue in those two verses? You inherit the promises by faith. The promises and the word of God as a whole and the gospel of the kingdom, they profit you when you mix faith with it. We must spend time in God's word to learn about the promises, to learn what God has for us. But then we must have faith in the promises, true biblical faith. And look, you know, faith and patience, right? Patience is staying in that place of true biblical faith over a longer period of time. You can't just have faith. Oh, God wants me blessed. You know, you have that faith for two minutes and then, you know, a couple of days later, something bad happens. And, oh, I guess not. I guess that wasn't God's will for my life. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. I guess God has poverty or sickness or whatever for me. No, that's not how it works. No, you, you receive the promises of God. God wants me so blessed that I can be generous on every, every occasion and that generosity will result in God's glory. God wants me to be healthy and if God forbid I get attacked, I can call for the elders of the church and that prayer of faith will, uh, will heal me, right? The prayer of faith will save the sick. That's what the King James says. But my point is we learn these promises and then we have faith in them. Now, great is the peace of my children. Jesus does have a rich and satisfying life for me. I am enriched in everything to all bountifulness. I sow bountifully and I reap bountifully. By Jesus' stripes I was healed. You see what I'm saying? You take all of these promises and you mix your faith with them. These are my reality now. I am in the kingdom of God now. As you go through the Bible, many of God's promises are, in fact, automatic and perfectly applicable to you when you become a Christian. We talked about this a minute ago. Those are kind of promises geared to your spiritual reality. You're the child of God. You have the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, you are righteous in the eyes of God. 
Uh, those are automatic. But the promises that pertain to the natural human life require cooperation. We need to live in harmony with God's teachings to truly see God's promises manifest in your life. Now, look, this is a bit tricky because you have to separate the ideas of working to earn the promises, which we can never do. All They're all grace, right? They're all grace. It's all by grace through faith, salvation, and every other promise. You do not earn anything. However, you must live to cooperate with the promises. You can't be working against them. That's what you have to do. For example, you can't drink, smoke, eat a ton of fast food, and then expect to live in divine health with no medical problems. I mean, I don't care. You know, you could pray all day long, but if you have a bunch of bad habits for your physical body, it's just the reality of this world and what the, you know, those things are doing to your body. They are breaking your body down over time. And you can pray, uh, you know, about your divine health and maybe you can even see victory here or there, but over time, it's not going to work. It doesn't work like that. You know, similarly, you can't just spend all your money on frivolous things, never save, never tithe, uh, you know, and just expect all of God's financial promises to show up in your life. I mean, no, that's crazy. I hope these points don't even require further discussion. We live in a fallen world. And while these promises are our inheritance, we have to live in line with the kingdom. The kingdom of God has a system that has instructions. It has guidance. We have to cooperate. That's the way it is. And if we are doing things that are actively fighting against the physical manifestation of promises in our lives, if we are doing physical actions which are fighting against the promises for our physical lives, for our natural human lives, then we are not going to see them show up like God wants them to. That's just the way it is. Look, and and just to go one step further, look, purity and maturity are required to truly live in all of God's plan for your life. Uh, you know, those honestly are are two of my major life goals right now. You know, shout out to Pastor Greg at the Difference Church for really helping me to see this, you know. As you grow in God's plan for your life, God wants you to bless and influence people. But if you are impure and immature, God can't use you in those roles. Yes, you've earned the right through your righteousness. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have even said it that way. But because of your righteousness through Christ, through God, you are entitled to God's plan for your life. But if you're impure and immature, you, you, God can't use you in those roles. You can't do the good works God has planned for you because you could hurt people or you could go off and do the wrong thing and mess up other people's plans. No, purity and maturity are how we cooperate with the kingdom of God and how God can begin using us to influence others, to help other people on his plan for their lives. My friends, we don't earn anything but the kingdom of God has wisdom and systems, and we need to cooperate with them. When we cooperate with them and we have faith in the promises of God, then we're going to really start seeing them show up in our lives. And look, let me just make one last point on this. You know, there are times when we feel like we're cooperating and we feel like we're, having, we're in faith, but it's not showing up. Well, look, no big deal, right? 
That's the time when you, you know, maybe take a couple days to fast. You spend some extra time in the word. You go on a long prayer walk. You get quiet. You meditate the word. You spend some time with God looking for the key to your manifestation. That's kind of an idea I've talked about elsewhere. Remember, whatever he tells you to do, do it. God knows God wants you to receive the manifestation of his promises. God wants you to have all of his blessings more than you ever would. Right. So if you're having an area of your life where it doesn't look like they're showing up, just go to God, pray, and he'll reveal to you what you need to do. But look, we could go hours going through all the different promises on health, prosperity, inner peace, good family, all of that. And we could look at all of God's promises for your life. And look, and in my in my uh, notes here, in the written version of this, I'm providing a link. But look, you know, I have podcasts on a lot of podcasts on healing, podcasts on finances, on peace, on all sorts of things. Many, many gods of God's promises. And I encourage you to listen to those. Why? So you can hear the promises so that you can start obtaining them by faith and patience. Right. So you can start seeing them show up in your life. You know, look, just to come back to the health and wealth gospel. The fact is that God has many, many promises for our financial lives. I gave you the verse in Second Corinthians because I believe that is the clearest statement of God's financial plan for a Christian. Please read those verses again. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, now listen to this here. This is this is really amazing. It is just as clear in the Bible that God wants you financially prospered as it is clear that God wants you saved. That's the truth. When you look at all the verses, when you truly look at what the Bible says, it's as clear that God wants you financially prospered as it is clear that God wants you saved. One of the redemptive names of God is Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. God wants to be your provider. I've taught at length about divine healing and God's healing promises. I suggest you listen to my teachings on the subject. We have numerous healing promises. In fact, all of God's healing power has already been completely released to Christians. and We don't ever need to suffer from sickness or injury again. I'm not saying we won't get attacked. I mean, I twisted the heck out of my ankle on Thanksgiving Day, and I'll probably talk about that. You know, I got attacked. I did something dumb. I was carrying something dumb. I stepped off a curve. I don't know why it happened, but you know what? I used what I've learned from God, and I was miraculously healed about 30, 30 hours later, give or take. Things happen. Things are out there, but we don't ever need to suffer from sickness or injury again because the healing power of God's been released and we just need to know how to appropriate it, how to use it. I don't care what physical situation is bothering you. You can be healed right now. Here is the point here. It is as clear in the Bible that God wants you physically healed as it is clear that God wants you saved. I want to make that point again. It is crystal clear from the Bible that God wants you saved. It is crystal clear from the Bible that God wants you financially prospered. And it is crystal clear from the Bible that God wants you healed. In fact, one of the other redemptive names of God is Jehovah Rapha, God who heals. God wants to be your healer and God wants you healed. Like a couple of quick verses, Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. First Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, 
By his wounds you have been healed. Listen to me. Jesus was the substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus suffered for our sins. Jesus was cursed so that we might be blessed. Yes, we are called to live as Christ in terms of our character and the fruits of the Spirit. Yes, we are also called to suffer persecution like Christ, where we'll be persecuted for our faith in preaching the gospel. But we are not called to suffer punishment for our sins. We are not called to suffer the effects of sin for which we've already received forgiveness and redemption. We are not called to live under the curse. Jesus did all of that for us. Jesus was poor. God wants us rich. Jesus' body was destroyed. God wants our bodies healed. The teaching that God doesn't want you financially prospered is heresy in the ears of God. It is also blasphemy against Jehovah Jireh. The teaching that God doesn't want you in perfect health is heresy in the ears of God. It is also blasphemy against Jehovah Rapha. It is a great shame that the world has accepted so many of the devil's lives. We blame God for countless evils around the world. We blame God for countless evils in our own lives. But the devil is the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is the author of sin and death. Jesus came so that we can have an abundant life, a rich and satisfying life. You cannot look at the world around you where the devil is the god of this period of time and the dominion of darkness is constantly influencing billions of people who are obeying the devil. You can't look at all of that and think that you see God's will. You must discern God's will from the Bible. God has a wonderful plan for your life. A life that he wants filled with the physical manifestation of his love and promises. God wants you to have a life filled with his health and his wealth, his peace, his joy, his love, and every other aspect of his kingdom. I pray you receive this message and begin living in God's true will for your life. I hope that this has blessed you today. I hope that this has truly expanded your understanding of reality today. Like you know what God wants for you. It's crystal clear in the Bible. God wants you healed. God wants you saved. God wants you prospered. God wants you to have a wonderful home life, a wonderful family life. God has an amazing life for you. Now it's time that we use our faith. We cooperate with the kingdom of God and we stop blaming God for all the evils in the world around us. Those are not God's will. That is not God's plan. God's plan is that we rise up as the church, as the kingdom of God, that we preach the gospel, that we're generous, that we lay hands on the sick and see them recover, that we take this gospel to the world and see all of it transformed back into the Garden of Eden at his original intention. And look, I know, I know it's not going to happen. I know the devil's here. And I know until the end of this eon that there's going to always be a lot of pain in this world. But it's our job, one life at a time, one person at a time, one ministry at a time, to go out there and teach people about what God really has for their lives, about the blessing God really wants for their lives. And then those people will see those blessings start showing up because that is absolutely God's will. And God, and then it'll spread more and more. We do the best we can until Jesus returns. That's the way it is. And it'll work in every country. It'll work in every place. I don't care what, what's going on there. There's no devil in hell that can stop the promises of God from showing up in a person's life when they're using their faith, when they're listening to God. Cause 
Guys, I love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening today, and I hope you have a happy new year.